0: You're listening to episode 11 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. This episode is part two of my conversation with Jess Lowry, and if you haven't listened to the first part of her story in episode nine, I highly recommend you do so before listening to this one. Jess shared her incredible story of finding hope through the darkness of infertility, recurrent miscarriage, stillbirth, near divorce, and an attempt to end her own life. Amazingly, she persevered and eventually gave birth to two healthy boys. Jess is the family minister at the church where I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and our stories collided when she showed up for me at the hospital the night Ellis was stillborn and ended up baptizing him. Since then, we've developed a deep friendship and she began to share her story with me. This episode tells the story of Jess's adopted rainbow baby Shiloh, Jess and her family were called to adoption several years ago, which took them on a long journey of waiting, roadblocks, and heartache. This is another incredible story that exemplifies the power of choosing love. Here's our conversation. Hi, Jess. Here we are again. Uh, Thank you for being here. So, Jess and I were just talking about how after we finished recording her first episode, Um, There were elements of her story that were really important reflections for her that she wasn't able to tell or she she forgot to include because there was so much in that first episode that we went through. Um, And I think in talking with Jess that the themes of her reflections really tie in with the story of Shiloh's adoption and kind of the overall themes That she um, learned through that experience, too. So, I've asked her to start this episode with kind of reflecting on, um, reflecting briefly on that first episode, and then going into telling the story of um, her adoption of her daughter, Shiloh. So,
1: you can jump in, Jess. So, after reflecting on um, kind of our journey and the story, there are a couple of things that felt like I missed, um, missing in our first time together. And, and they're really important, not just to our pregnancy journey. Um, but they're also really important to, um, our journey forward through adoption and our journey forward, um, as a couple. And the first is while we were going through, um, the infertility time and the pregnancy losses and, I kept having this sense that Nathan didn't care. Um, I felt like he was apathetic, that, that this wasn't as important to him as it was to me. And what I missed and what I didn't realize until years later was the reality was Nathan was saying to me explicitly, I just want you. I don't need a baby. I only want you. You're the only thing I want. And, and I was hearing, you don't really care if we have a baby or not. And what he meant was I was enough for him. Um, and, and so I think that's important as, as anybody walks this journey, um, to realize that while it may look different, um, there is such a gift in, in not having the pressure from, um, that already is so natural in your own body, um, this pressure to be a mother and not have additional pressure from my husband saying, why can't you give me a child? It was, you are exactly, you're all I've ever wanted. Um, so that was really powerful, um, to, to realize that later on. And I wish I would have, I wish I would have seen it at the time. I think that would have helped us avoid a lot of the trouble that we had. I think that could have, um, could have saved some of the heartache over that time. um, The second thing is, is a concept that I'm learning about right now called liminal space. And it's this place in between, um, where you've already been and, and where you're going and the middle place of the waiting and anyone who's experienced infertility, miscarriage, pregnancy, loss of any kind, um, and adoption, um, you know, what it's like to live in this liminal space. Um, Richard Rohr, um, defines it as a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. Um, he says it's when you are finally out of the way. Um, he says if you're not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. Um, and I think in our in our pregnancy journey so much early on of what I talked about with the, um, you know, alcohol abuse and the emotional affair and, and some of those really unhealthy behaviors I was running. Um, I couldn't sit in the unknowing and the waiting and, um, Taylor, I know you and I have talked about, um, even with the miscarriages that I got to this place where a miscarriage was easier because I knew what the outcome was. Um, there was an, there was a clear end to what was happening. And um, there, there is a lot of liminal space in our adoption story and, um, and a lot of wrestling with that. But I, but I hope that I'm learning to do that better than I did before.
0: Thank you for those reflections. Cause like I said, I think they connect with both parts of your story. And I know that life doesn't work as two separate stories. Your story just all kind of runs together, but, um, I kind of see them maybe as chapters. So, um, I'd love for you to start with telling us how this next chapter of your journey started. Um, so how did you and Nathan decide that you were ready to pursue adoption? Um, was that something you'd always kind of had in your mind or was it a result of your experience with pregnancy loss? Um, so yeah, how did you enter into that next part of your journey?
1: Yeah, and and I think your point is is really valid and and our th- this wasn't two separate stories. I mean, this adoption um this adoption idea was sparked in our hearts um during our time of infertility and not knowing if we'd be able to have a, you know, a child biologically. Um so it was um it was about um 8 years I guess after Ava, that um, we were we were actually driving and in the middle of the night. Um, I was always the one who took the late night drive, and um, I was listening to a, an audio book and just kind of thinking and reflecting and praying as I was driving and everybody else was asleep and something just really sparked in my heart that this, it was time to start this adoption process. Um, so I woke up Nathan in the middle, you know, four o'clock in the morning and I'm sobbing and he can't figure out what's going on. And, um, and i said i really think it's time i think i think we need to look into adoption and so we talked about it um through the drive in the middle of the night we um we actually talked to the boys about it um a, about a week later and they were 4 and 6 at the time luca and julian were and um Right away, Lucas said, Yes, I would love to have a little Aww. sister. And Julian, who was four, just started listing all of the things that he would teach her um, how to build blocks, how to race cars, you know, all of the things in his four year old world that were really important. Um, so we began that process and just started researching agencies. And throughout the years, I'd had these dreams of this little girl with dark skin and really curly hair um and so in that process we really felt like african country was probably where we were going to be headed um and began with ethiopia and um we're working on our dossier and and all of our paperwork and ethiopia had closed uh, their adoption during that process so we moved um right away you know prayed again and really felt drawn to haiti so we started the process with haiti um as we were, as we were in the process, the timeframes started growing and our agency said that's usually an indication that they may be closing adoption for a time there as well. So it went from 12 to 24 months, um, until placement to 36 to 48 and it, and it was growing. And so, um, I pause you. Yes. Um, so I want to remind
0: listeners that in the first episode, um, after you had your third child, Julian, you um decided along with your doctors that it was time to have a hysterectomy and um which meant you couldn't have your own children um through pregnancy anymore Mm -hmm. but you still wanted to have more children Mm -hmm. so that is what um was part of your decision toward adoption
1: right Yep, absolutely um yeah, and and if um and if you remember the story of Nathan's I say it I wanted six, Nathan said one and I and we landed at three and he said I don't know who you'll have the third one with. Yeah. You know. Again, couldn't be more accurate. Um so so the Haiti time frame is growing and we're and we're just kind of trying to figure out what what to do, um, and and we've learned in our in our journey um, or our learning that when you get to that place, um, most of the time, just continuing to press forward is not the best option. Um, we we tried to do that briefly and looked into domestic newborn adoption. We thought, okay, maybe we just need to completely change gears. Um, met with a met with a um, woman who did domestic newborn adoption and got all the information and we walked out. And I remember looking at Nathan across the car and we both just shook our heads and said, this isn't it either. Mm -hmm. Um, so we decided at that point to, to take a pause for as long as it took, we would just pause and pray and feel like we would know when it was time to, to get started again. Um, so that lasted about six months. Um, and for some reason, we, we never have the news on in our house. Um, for some reason, uh, on a Thursday evening, we had the news on. And there was a story about um, the overwhelming number of kids in foster care in San Antonio, and that a lot of them were sleeping in CPS offices. And um, that really shook me. Um, I had another one of those moments of just you know, sobbing and Nathan's trying to figure out what's going on. And I just said, we have to do something about this. We, this is, you know, this is terrible. And he said, okay, let's pray about it. And um, there were three other things that happened in the next 24 hours that um, even a strange conversation that he ended up with a coworker he hardly knows who just happened to say, did I ever tell you that we were fostering to adopt? Um, I met a mom on a playground, same thing, you know, we're doing foster to adopt. So this thing that we really didn't know much about was all of a sudden everywhere around us. And it was like, okay, this is this, we're going to, we're going to take a step forward. You know, that was our, we started to learn, um, we've started to learn that you don't, you don't plan the whole journey out, but you just take one next faithful step Um, and so our next faithful step was to look into agencies, um, start talking to some people who had done it before. And we decided to pursue licensing, um, and, and that took nine months or so. Um, and then we began the waiting process. Um, we were, I think we were licensed in, um, August and it wasn't until November that we received. So you, so you would get a call and somebody would say, are you willing to take, you know, here's the story of this child, Um, whatever information they had, are you willing to, um, to take placement of this child? Do you say yes or no? Um, So we would say yes. And then we would get a call back. I'm sorry. They chose another family. Um, So this, it, it felt like a miscarriage all over Mm, again, because you'd have this moment of, Oh my gosh, we're going to have, you know, we're going to be able to have this child and then somebody calling and there's something really heart-wrenching about the words they didn't choose your family. Mm, yeah. Um this was a this was a conscious choice that someone looked at your information and said, "No, we're going to go with somebody else." Um and that was that was really really painful.
0: Do you have any insight
1: as to why that might be? Um, sometimes they said, sometimes it's just sheer timing we had taken, um, if it was kind of questionable in our minds, like it was a little outside of the parameters, um, maybe more drug exposure than we expected or something like that, or, or just, I couldn't talk to Nathan, um, and it would be 30 minutes or so. It was just that fast of a turnaround sometimes that we, we just waited too long, um, sometimes it was that they didn't even make it to our file because they had you know this family looks great and we'll go ahead um that was about as far as i got into um into the reason behind why you know why some are chosen or not um so in in november of that year we we got a call we had two kids placed with us um that were um, five months and 15 months old. And they were with us for just a couple of weeks and they were moved. Uh, There was a relative who came forward um, and they were moved to a family member. So um, again, we have this huge cycle of loss. So my children, you know, have attached to these, these kids and they've loved them and played with them. And, you know, you just kind of, you enter the foster system knowing that that's that that's what you're mm-hmm. you're trained for, you're taught um but actually experiencing it is is mm-hmm. a far different thing and
0: what is the window of time where you know where that liminal space of like okay, we said yes to these children, they're in our home. What's the window of time that they could be taken away
1: uh, up until adoption day? Okay. There is yeah, there is no um I mean even I'd say up until adoption day, but we'll talk a little bit about how it could even be. Um, yeah, it's really, there isn't a concrete once this date hits, Mm -hmm. then you know for sure that that's not going to happen. Okay. Um, up until the, the judge has signed, um, it really is, it could happen anytime. So you're, you're just sitting, you walk in knowing you're going to be sitting in that liminal space. Um, I know people who've sat in that space for years. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, and and one of the things that um one of the important things that our caseworker in one of our trainings um said, and I wrote this on a little stone to keep in my office on my desk, is that love is never wasted. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know, you go into this foster time and just say I'm gonna love these kids, and know that if it's for a day or weeks or years, that's not wasted. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really the message that we conveyed to our boys who were heartbroken you know when these when these two left um so so that happened they left at the beginning of December and um they the you know caseworker asked you want to do you want some time we said yeah let's wait till the beginning of the year give us the holidays and then we'll we'll jump back in and so that's what we did and so it was from January um until April of a call you know we get excited. No, they chose, you know, sorry, they chose another family back and forth. Um, I think I, if I remember correctly, it was like 13 of those calls that had happened from January to April, um, and got a call in April and, um, it was about twins. And after having two, Nathan and I decided two was really probably more than we were capable of handling at the time. So, Um, I was on the phone with a caseworker and said, thank you so much, but we're going to have to say no um, and stick within our parameters of one child. And she said, wait a minute, an email is coming through right now. It's for a newborn baby girl with no name. Mm. And um, the minute I heard it, I said, yes. She said, you know, here are the details. Some of it's outside of what you guys were. I said, it doesn't matter. She said, do you need to talk to Nathan? I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, the answer is yes. right now, yes, um because I felt I was like, this is our girl. Yeah, I know this is our girl. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so this was this was a Monday morning. um I remember being out to dinner with Nathan's grandparents, and I'm just looking at my phone waiting for the call back that they chose us because I know that this is our daughter. and um it was about seven thirty, and I get a message from our caseworker and says, "I'm really sorry." Mm. I haven't heard from anybody. Um, they must have chosen another family, and that night was was one of those times. Um, and I'm sure everybody who's listening to this has had them, where you're just yelling at God, "What in the heck are you doing? I have, I have followed where you've where you've led me. I believe this is what you've called us to." I'm being faithful. Why aren't you? Why aren't you doing this? Why would this happen? And and finally ended up in the place of I give up. I give up. I don't know what you want. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I quit. So when you when you decide, um, let me know. You know, it's really like I you know, and it's a release of control is really what it is, right? Because we like the illusion of control, um, especially. Enneagram AIDS um, And so I let go of control and um, you know Tuesday came and went and Wednesday morning um, I was I was standing in the um, in the office at church and I got a call from our caseworker and all she said was they chose your family. Mm. And and I just remember that feeling like, oh my gosh, this is it this is really, really it. Um, so we had to, we got to go, um, to the hospital the next day to meet her. And, um, Nathan and I were supposed to meet at the hospital and he was taking longer than I was. And so I went into the gift shop and I bought her a bunny cause it was just before Easter and, um, waited as long as I could. And then finally texted him and said, I'm sorry, I can't wait anymore. <laughs> I've been waiting a very long time for yeah. this moment. I'm not waiting five more minutes. Um, and I walked in and she was the most beautiful tiny. I mean, she was so tiny. She was just over four pounds. Wow. Um, in her little isolate, um, you know, just just as perfect and beautiful as could be. And um, all I could do is put my finger in there and she wrapped her little hand around mm-hmm. my finger. And um, you know, and I was just head over heels in love the minute I saw her. Um, and she had not been held yet. That day was actually the first day she was allowed to be out of the, the isolate. Um, so I got to be the first one to hold her. Mm. Um, I got to give her her first bath, Mm. um, her first bottle, you know, we got to do all of those first things that were so special. Um, and, and, but, and, (laughs) Um, I remember walking out of that hospital the first day I met her and I went into the bathroom just outside of the nurse's station and I thought, I wonder if her mom was in here. Mm -hmm. I wonder if when she said goodbye to her, if that was so hard, I wonder if she cried in this, in this bathroom. Um, so, so while there was so much joy and excitement and my mother-in-law came and held her and, you know, it was so much love and joy around it. There was still this tragedy of, of this situation, um, that I'm not her mother and, and her mother has experienced this loss that I understood, um, in in a way that probably a lot of people didn't in a way that you could understand, she lost her child. Um, and, and so that's something that I'm still, you know, that I still wrestle with, um, constantly. Um, so we've been, you know, we've, we've held this, um, we held this tension through this process of, of acknowledging the loss and, and, um, and even what Shiloh will grow up, you know, the, the kind of pieces of her that we won't be able to fill. Um, and, um, but it, but in the meantime, um, we pray and, and, um, you know, are so grateful for the people that surround us and are helping us navigate that journey with her. Um, so we, so she was in the NICU for, um, 10 days and, um, after we met her and we got to bring her home. And even still up until that day, I was not sure she was really going to come home. Um, you know, you kind of develop this, um, um, armor a little bit that's like, okay, well, this is supposed to happen, but it probably won't. And I'll be okay if it doesn't because things don't go the way I want or plan, you know. Um, but she did come home. And that was the first time that our boys got to meet her because they weren't allowed in the NICU. And they were just in love with her. Luca fed her a bottle. Julian was reading her a book, you know, and it was this beautiful time. Um, and for the next, really the next six months, everything went um, went really easily. Um, we had our regular visits. Um, there was no contact from mom at all. Um, so, you know, there, she didn't have visits. She didn't reach out. She didn't want to have anything to do with her to, you know, to, um, to our knowledge. And, um, and so we just kept moving along and, um, everyone said, you know, you get to the six month mark and then you do a permanency hearing. And that's at that point we're recommended option. And this is, you know, this is going great. This is easy. Um, and, and so we, we just lived, um, this new life as a family of five. And Nathan and I, uh, went to France um, to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And, um, we were in Notre Dame and, um, in the fall and I was in the, the cathedral and, um, lighting a candle to pray. And I started to pray, God, please just make her, let her keep, let us keep her, uh, please make this child, my daughter. And, um, when we got back, that hearing was scheduled for the next morning. So it was really that time that it was, um, that it was, you know, really time to make this a reality. And I started to go down that path but what my what my heart cried out instead was God, I want you more. I want you more than anything else in the whole world, and I want to be with you more, and I want to know you more. And I also want her, but I want you more. Um and it was a you know really significant time in my faith journey um because it had always been I love you, God. And also, could you please do this thing, you know, for me? Um, and so we got back and, um, got ready, you know, we're all ready to go to the hearing and, um, got a phone call that said, just wanted to let you know, some families come forward. So we're going to recommend that, um, that she's removed and placed with this, this family member. And I, you know, I don't understand. And they said, we'll see you at the hearing today. Mm. Um, so we we are in the courthouse and it's just Nathan and I, and we're sitting, you know, just kind of completely in shock and lost and have no idea what's happening. And, um, and the caseworker comes down and says, yeah, I'm really sorry. It looks like this home study is going to go through um, for this family, this relative who's come forward. And, and to up to this point, we've been told there are no, relatives who are able to to take her in. Um so this is this has come out of nowhere. And and I remember standing up and it took everything I had to to get down the hallway to the bathroom without throwing up. And I went in the bathroom and I'm just wailing in there and um trying to keep myself together. We have to go into this hearing, you know, where where they're where they're gonna formally tell this to the judge. And, um, it was, it was like, I was in this terrible nightmare, um, and we were driving home and saying to each other, how in the world do we face her? How do we, um, how do we go in our house and see our little girl and know that she's leaving? Um, and we prayed on the way home and we walked through the door and I looked at her and all I felt was joy. Um. Just pure joy. and and to me, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit only in that moment to feel joy like we did. Um, and so, for the first couple of days, I spent them in bed. Um, I couldn't fight. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. I closed the curtains and I just got under the covers and I wept, and I slept, and um I couldn't function. Um, and and I'm naturally a fighter. So this place of, I can't fight was, was really, this was really paralyzing. Do you think that was grief?
0: Like, were you grieving? Had you kind of, did you feel like, oh, they really are going to take her? Yeah. And so you were grieving that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Grieving the loss, grieving this loss of a child who was still right, right here. And I would, you know, she, at that time she was so little, she slept in a cradle next to our bed and I'd wake up you know, in the middle of the night and look over and expect it to be empty. Mm. Um and and um some one of my a friend reached out to me with this um this album that she really loved by an artist called Christy Knuckles and it was lullabies for the beloved. And um and so I just I started listening to that and and I think it's amazing how music has the power to kind of calm your soul a little bit and shift your spirit and, um, and speak to you in a way that when you can't hear words, I think music speaks, um, in a really profound way. And so I just kept that, kept that album on repeat and, um, you know, looked looked at Shiloh and we're laying in bed, listening to this, um, um, to this song and the words are, I praise you, God for all that you are and all that is and all that's, that is to come. And and it just clicked to me that I don't know what's ahead, but God's here. And um, I got down on my knees and Daniel's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego just was right there um, on my mind. and And my prayer was, God, I know that you can I know that you can change this and I know that you can save our family and even if you don't, I'm not going to stop loving you and I'm not going to stop serving you. Um and that became this mantra for me. Um every day of praying. And then and then it shifted to give me please just give me hope and strength for today. That's that was all. Um this was the first time I really understood um you know, kind of that manna story of, okay, I, I can only, it's only for today and that's all I'm going to get. Okay. And that's all I'm asking for because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, There were a lot as, as we, as we journeyed a little further, there were a lot of things that would pop up during the workday um, calls or, Hey, we need you to do this because there's going to be a visit with mom all of a sudden or, or different things. Um, so it, it began to be like once five o'clock hit, I started breathing a little bit again. Um, once the weekend hit, I started breathing a little bit again. Okay, there aren't going to be any surprises. So my prayer went to like, can you just give me strength till five o'clock? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 God really did. Every single day there was some glimmer of hope, some bit of strength that came through. Um, family, our friends, our incredible community. Um, but we still had a we had a battle to fight. Um, so we, we have a, a number of good friends that are attorneys and started talking to attorneys and they referred us to people who, who did that kind of law. And um, every single person that we talked to said, I'm really sorry, but you don't have a shot. The, here's the law. You guys are, you, I'm sorry, don't waste your money really was the message that, that people kept telling us. So so we're contacting attorneys and the circumstance was that her mother was was on drugs. She had already lost custody of other children. Shiloh was baby number four. Um and 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 mom didn't want to do any of the steps or couldn't do any of the steps to to gain regain custody. So this was not a situation where mom had gone through the plan and had been doing what she needed to do and then, and then had, um, come back and wanted her. What happened instead, um, was there was a person that, that mom found, um, the, the legal term is fictive kin. So it's a person who, um, they're claiming is kinship, but it's not proven, um, this was uh, she was calling this person her half sister, though there were no there was no record of how that connection was possible, or even blood DNA tests required, or anything like that. Um, so so there was this person who um they were you know was called fictive kin that mom had identified as. I I want my daughter to go to these people, and unfortunately, one of the things that um that we were told when um you know when i sat down with cps and i said i don't as a mother when i look at this situation i don't understand it she knows you have told her how well cared for and loved her daughter is yes okay so why would she want to take her away from that um and what and what they shared is because it at the one visit she had based on the way she was dressed mom asked if if we were white And, um, and she really had a struggle with the idea of her daughter being with a white family, um, a struggle that I can't understand as a white woman, you know, I, um, but that was, that was really the, you know, initially what the, what the issue was. Um, so, so we're told, even though these people may not legally, you know, be blood relatives, they still have precedence over you. Um, they still standing in the court over you. I'm sorry, but legally you don't, there's nothing you can do. Um, so we get back to that, you know, God, this is in your hands. Um, what do we, what do we do here? And our really close attorney friend, um, reached out and, um, and, and this in my mind is a testimony to the way that the Holy spirit works. Um, because, She doesn't practice this kind of law at all. Um, She actually talked to her husband about kind of jumping into the middle of this. And he discouraged her from doing that because he said, you really aren't going to be able to help. Um, And she called and said, I I really just need to make this call anyway. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm thinking. I've asked around, I found this attorney, I've already talked to her and I want you to meet with her because she thinks she have a shot. And, um, and so we did and immediately was like, this is this is our person. Like this is the person we need to fight for us. Um so she just started she started fighting. Um and that that legal battle lasted from October to April. Um it was a, a roller coaster of um you know we're gonna have to remove her, she'll be removed by Halloween we got to Halloween, you know, and that was what our attorney told us. It's just going to be, we just need to, as much time as we can. So every chance, every hearing we had, if we got any amount of time, sometimes it was five days, sometimes it was a month. Um, that was okay. We've got another, you know, another bit of time. Um, and, and we, we, what started as a, um a time where, It was Nathan and I in the courthouse alone that day, just the two of us, Um, no, no legal representation, no help, no knowledge of what's happening to us. The next time we went into the courtroom, we had our five attorneys who were, you know, some of which were just really good friends of ours. And then we had 20 plus people from our church who just showed up to sit there with us and pray with us. And, um, man, that was powerful. Um, I remember so distinctly walking up, uh, because of course, every time we entered the courtroom could have been the day that the decision was made that Shiloh would leave our family. So there was no sleep. There was no, you know, it was so emotional and hard. And I remember walking up to the third floor in the courtroom and we get to the, we get to the landing at the second floor and my legs give out because, mm-hmm. I can't, I, I said to Nathan, I, I can't do this. I just can't do it. And he, you know, and he grabbed my arm and he said, we can do this. Come on. Mm-hmm. And we're going together. And we walked up to the top of the stairs and opened the door and, and our friend Byron is standing in the hallway. And, and I just wept because it was like, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You guys are not alone in this. Um, And, and then it was, you know, five more people and 10 more people. And, and the whole hallway just filled, um, with people. And, and that was the thing in the moments of, we're going to lose our little girl. It was, but you're not alone. Um, and you know, God reveals himself, himself in a lot of different ways. And, um, and he revealed himself so strongly through his people during that time. Um, And we gathered up in a big circle and we prayed together and, um, and this all was really awkward of a dynamic because a lot of times the CPS workers and the CASA people and these other people who were trying to um, get custody of Shiloh were also in that same hallway Mm. and, you don't just have a set time and you show up and you walk into the courtroom. You sit there for hours because mm-hmm. there's a docket that they're going through. Um, so we sat for hours in the same hallway as, and at one time, um, as Shiloh's mom, mm-hmm. you know, when she was there. Um, and and so it's just this really interesting um, dynamic that takes place. And um, so in the, in the middle of all of this, um, Luca, who was. at the time, um, he says to me, mama, I think I want to be baptized. And and I said, you know, that's wonderful. And when do you want to do it? And he, and we talked through it and he said, well, I, I want to wait until after we see what God's going to do with Shiloh, because if he, if he saves our family, then I'll know he's real. And, um, that was the clearest picture of how I think of the gravity of of the situation being so much larger than um than this loss um you're talking about the loss of a daughter and a sister and potentially a faith you know and and that was that was so huge and and i didn't ex- i didn't try to explain that away um to him because that's where he was and i felt like that was important um for him you know to just kind of wrestle with and um And so we, we, it was about a month later and, um, it was a Saturday night and Luca came and said, I've decided I want to be baptized tomorrow. And I said, okay, buddy, but the, you know, the hearings on Monday and we don't have an answer yet. Are you sure? Cause this is what you said. And he said, mama, it's not about, I realized it's not about what God's going to do, but it's about what God's already done for me. And, and I said, you are ready to be baptized, buddy. That's, That's beautiful and more mature and, and, um, incredible than a lot of adults, you know, could say that I could have said, um, throughout different times in my adult life. And, um, so he was baptized on Sunday and, um, and it was beautiful. And we continued this process, um, of hearings and, and in the midst of this, um, the, this, you know, half sister, Um, They started, CPS wanted visits with this half sister, Um, unsupervised visits um, where, where we met at the office and they took Shiloh in their car wherever they wanted to go for four hours is what um, really what everybody ended up agreeing on. And um, they started at eight hours and, you know, she's a baby, she's got schedules and all of that. And we landed at four and before um, before the visit, Nathan and I prayed a whole lot. And what we decided was as as Christian people, our job is to love, period. And especially if these are going to be the parents of our daughter then we're going to love them and we're going to we're going to try to make this as easy as possible on everybody because of course the idea of not having diapers or the right formula or any of those you know things came to our minds like let's make this really hard on them and and that's not consistent with our values as people and so we chose here's, here's a list of what she likes to do. Here's, here's all of what she's going to need for the next four hours. Here's our cell phone numbers. If you have any questions, you can call me or text me and I will answer them right, wow. right away um, for the next four, you know, for whatever you need. Um, so there was one visit and then, um, a couple weeks later, a second visit. And by this point, um, everybody's kind of turning like this is going to happen. Um,
0: that, that she would be she
1: would go with them. Yes. That she would be moved, um, that she would go with them. And, um, and we're still, you know, our attorneys are digging and fighting and trying to do what, whatever they can. And, um, and so we got to, um, we got to this last hearing and I kind of backed up a minute cause this hearing was right after, was right after Luca's baptism. Um, and, we were in, in the courtroom and we're waiting for hours and hours and I actually got to meet, um, grandmother and, um, had a really precious, special conversation with her about, um, how she felt about not being able to care for her granddaughter. Um, she kept apologizing to me about that. And, Mm. and I got to look her in the eyes and say, your granddaughter is the joy of my life. Mm. Um, please don't apologize and got to show her pictures and showed her a picture with, you know, her brothers. And it was really, really special, um, of a moment. And, um, and the people who were missing in the courtroom that day or in the courthouse were the, was the half sister. Um, they, she wasn't there Mm. and, um, they go in and they're fighting back and forth and, um, finally they, they, the CPS supervisor sees, wait, they're not here. And, um, we see, we're just sitting in the hallway waiting. We see the caseworker go out, get on the phone, come back in and, um, about an hour goes by and we're waiting in the hallway. And, and at one point somebody come out and said, okay, it's probably going to be a couple more weeks. Um, what they were doing was the termination of rights. So they were terminating mom's rights too. To Shiloh. Um, and they were also doing termination of rights for two of her other children on that same day. Mm. Um, so their mom, you know, her mom is in there and and going through this process. The grandmother, the, um, actually, uh, Shiloh's mom. Oh, okay. They're both in there. I gotcha. Um, and, um, you know, and she's, you know, there's this kind of commotion in the hallway with them and, um, We are just sitting there and I'm just praying. That's all I did in those hallways. I sat, it was like kind of tuning everything else out. And I just prayed, um, because that was literally the only thing I could do. Um, and so the, the attorneys come out, the CPS supervisor comes out and, um, they had just told us it's probably going to, you're probably going to have to wait longer on this. Um, and they call us over and, um, and our friend Melanie says, can you please tell, Uh, Jess and Nathan, what you've just said to me to the CPS supervisor, and she says we're going to improve your adoption, and it was like the opposite of what happened when they said they were going to take her. The discipline, I'm like, I don't understand. You know what just happened? You know, and we both start crying, and um, and what they said was when the caseworker went out to make the he made a phone call, and he called this half sister, and he said to her, "We'll fight." Will fight with you, but you've got to be in this fight with us and invest in this fight with us. And we notice you're not here. And what she said was, "Those people love that little girl, and that's where she belongs. That's her family. So we're pulling out." Um, and I and I think there's so much power to the realization that while all of the attorneys and and all of that made it. So we got to that place at the end of the day, it was love and nothing more than love from the way that we showed love to them. And there, even in that little bit of time, they loved her enough to say, we're not going to do this to this little girl who's been with this family over a year, you know, a year now and, um, who loves her so much. And, um, it, it just is, is the most, beautiful thing and the story that I can't wait to tell her and for her to really understand mm. um, just how loved she is.
0: Mm.
1: And she wears a butterfly necklace. <laughs> she does wear a butterfly necklace. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the, one of the incredible things. Um, if you see a picture, um, you couldn't know that she was adopted. Um, she looks just like Julian, uh, my middle <laughs> child, they have they both have super curly hair and dark complexions, and um, she has the same pointy ears that he has, and she has the same pouty lips that Ava had, and she's got Luca's beautiful nose, you know, and it's like, and she has my personality, you know, and somehow, um, somehow this you know, miracle of a little girl. I mean, if you think about, she's born under four pounds, exposed to so many different kinds of drugs. Um, you know, she is the strongest. She's brilliant. She's so resilient. Um, it's, it's just incredible to, to watch her grow Mm -hmm. and learn and thrive. Um, it's really, yeah, it's such a gift.
0: One thing you told me um, that I didn't know was that um, babies who are exposed to drugs in the womb, there's research that shows if they're held or mm-hmm. or touched after yep. birth, yep. for a certain amount of time, they can recover from the drug exposure. Yeah. am I saying that right?
1: Yeah. so um when we did a lot of research, knowing that we were likely going to, you know, have a drug exposed child, and they said for withdrawal symptoms, the strongest, the thing that is most beneficial is for that child to be held. Mm. Um, and we did the same, you know, the kangaroo care, the skin to skin, all of that while we were in the NICU with her. Um, Nathan would sing to her. I've got the most precious videos of we kind of, you know, there are other people in there, but we kind of just made this little um, like refuge around her, and and we kind of put up our chairs and make this little space that was just ours, and put some things in there that were special for her, and we would sing to her and play music to her and um, read to her, and you know all of that, you know, during that NICU time, mm-hmm. and obviously at long after, and we still do, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And what's interesting about um our friendship is that it was born. A few weeks after that, um, both of our experiences, um, in my mind, it is kind of a collision, like a cosmic collision. um, Because the week after your adoption was... It was was two days. Okay, two days after your adoption was finalized, Mm -hmm. my son Ellis was stillborn. Yeah. Um, It was May 18th that we adopted child. Yeah. Yeah. And Jess and I, we were acquaintances at that point um through I grew up in the church where she is now the family minister um and but that really brought us together Mm -hmm. so you were at the hospital the night that he was born yeah and you baptized him yeah um and I feel like there were maybe 10 people who got to meet Ellis and it's that connection is so special because you, you know, you were the only person who got to see and, and hold my son. Yeah. Um, And then you came to the hospital a couple of days later to visit again. And you said a prayer that has really carried me through um the past year. Um, And in that prayer, you said, we know God didn't cause this, mm-hmm. but we know he's here to walk us through it. Yeah. And that was so powerful because I had a lot of people telling me other things like, everything happens for a reason yeah. um, or you just have to trust this is God's plan. And those are really confusing messages. Yeah. Um, even for someone who grew up as a Christian, believing that God has a plan for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a very confusing message. So to know that um, from someone who's walked that path and to hear you say, I know God didn't cause this, yeah. He's, but he's right here. Um, that was so powerful. And I see that through your own story too. Um, just how God was present even when you didn't know, you know, that you didn't identify as a Christian or you yeah. um in those early losses. Um and how Ava really kind of helped um blossom your faith and and understanding of how God really works. Yeah. Um, which we still don't really know how he works, but we have some
1: better ideas. (laughs) Yeah. And, and in that, um, in that night in the hospital, I didn't even, I, I still, you know, again, with the way the Holy Spirit works, even though we didn't, we didn't really know each other past acquaintances, the question of, should I go to the hospital? Never even crossed my mind. Yeah, The minute your mom called, I was in the car, like period. Like it just was like, I'm going to the hospital. Um, because I felt like I needed to be there, um, as somebody who had walked this journey before and, and no one else around you had, you know, um, had done that. And so, um, while, while you were giving birth to Ellis and we were out in the waiting room, um, our dear friend, Steve, um, he put his arm around me and we all knew that there was like, we were waiting to, to meet him. And he said to me, you don't have to be strong here. And I said, what do you mean, Steve? And he said, this this could be extremely traumatic for you. And I want you to think about that for a minute before you go into that room. Know that it is perfectly okay for you to not walk into that room. And, and I said to him, I consider when I look back on what's happened, you know, and at this point, Ava would be um, 14 years old. So what I, um, when I look back, I'm sorry, 13 years old, um, I said, my life started with her. Everything that, everything that I am now is a result of her and how I know God because of her and how he showed me himself through her. That's where this all started. So it's hard for me to look at that as a as a bad thing or a hard thing or a traumatic thing. And it was all of those things for sure. Um, But I wanted to, in some way without trying to put this pretty little bow on it, be in the room with you to say this, you're going to be okay because I've been in that bed where you are right now. Um, And you are.
0: Yeah. And that's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, it really, truly is a miracle. Because in those early days, it feels like, it, I mean, you're just, how am I even going to live past today? Yep. Um, and you and I have both been in those places of of wanting to die. Yep. And yep. trying to die. Yep. Um, and somehow, by the grace of God, we made it to the next day. Yep. And, uh, but there was so much power in having your presence there. Um, cause like you said, I didn't know anyone else yeah. in real life who'd had a stillborn baby. Um, and to see you thriving, um, and know, okay, maybe I will somehow make it past this. Yeah. Um, and then since then we started having, you know, almost weekly lunches. Yeah. And now I feel like we have such an amazing connection. And again, that's, it's such a beautiful way that God works through, um, through suffering and pain and loss. Um, and that we know he doesn't cause that. Yeah. Um, but he, he makes good out of, um, hardship and suffering. Yeah. Um, and that's still a mystery. I don't understand how that really works, but I've been witness to it in my own life and in, in your life and in other people's stories. Yeah. Um,
1: so I guess I'll just say, so, so speaking of mystery, I forgot one really, um, incredible little story that popped in, um, while we were in the process of waiting for, so the adoption was approved, but we're still waiting for the adoption to actually take place, which takes months. Um, and, Still, that fear of okay, at any point, this may not go through. Um, and was I was having just a particularly hard day around that and really prayed, um, was praying a lot. And, um, it had been kind of a hard period of time where there were some questions around if, if it was really truly going to go through. And I, and I opened my Facebook, um, and on my Facebook feed was a memory from three years earlier. And, And I looked at the picture and it was a memory of a time when a group of us had taken, um, had done this special kind of dinner with some moms from a home. Um, it was a homeless shelter for specifically for, um, pregnant mothers or mothers with young children. And we had taken them out, um, for a special night. And, um, I looked at this picture and, and I saw Shiloh's mom in this picture and she was right next to me. And my brain jumped back to that night and remembering sitting beside, it was a painting party. Um, and I'm sitting beside, you know, two women. And we'd done these events before and typically, you know, had a lot of interaction with the women. Um, and, um, and I remember distinctly this woman and um, us having very little interaction. There was kind of this wall. I felt this wall between us that night. And um and it turns out, um, she was pregnant at the time with Shiloh's sister. It wasn't Shiloh yet, mm-hmm. but she was pregnant with Shiloh's sister. Um and talk about mystery. I still am like, how in the world we live in a pretty large city. I mean, what in the world are the chances of I, I now have a picture that I can show my daughter of your wow. your two moms <laughs> were in the same room painting together. It gives me goosebumps. Yeah, before you were even you were even conceived. Um, and I still I pray for Shiloh's mom regularly. I wrote her a letter, um, just telling her that I'm not going to tell Shiloh some story about her that I don't know, and if she ever wants to share her story, um. I would love to you know for her to send that to me and mm-hmm. and for that to be the story that Shiloh knows about her um, because I don't claim to understand what she's seen or where she's been or why any of this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope someday we'll we'll get that and until then um, we'll share the parts of the story that we know and understand. and um, the one I know for sure is God works in very mysterious ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Truly. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was through Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> that's so crazy. I know. Yep. Wow. Um, I usually hate those Facebook memories, but I that's know. a really special one. I know. Now I pay attention to yeah. them. Like
1: <laughs> what else is in wow. here? Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, before we wrap up, I want to, um, give you an opportunity to just pass along any kind of final thoughts or advice that you have for parents who are considering adoption Mm -hmm. or at this part in their journey where, you know, maybe they've gone through a lot of pregnancy loss. Um, do you have any, any,
1: um, wisdom that you can pass along to them? Um, I've had this conversation a few times because I've had people that have come to me. Um, there were a number of people around us who were watching what was taking place. People who had said, you know, what? we're going to we're going to do foster to adopt um, up until the trial started. And then and then the message was, there's no way I could ever go through what you went through. And I know we've talked about this before. and And you say, actually, you could. You really could. Because if you asked me, I would have said the same thing. Yeah. Um, um, but, but the thing that I've consistently felt um, called to tell people is that if it's on your heart, then do it. Um, mm-hmm. It is going to be so hard, um, but it is so needed and so important um, right now. And um, so I absolutely say, make the hard choice, do, do the hard thing and do it. If it's on your heart to do, um, don't let fear, fear keeps us from doing a lot of things and, um, don't let fear be the thing that keeps you from doing it. Um, yeah. Um, I think the other, I think the other thing would, would just be, um, if you know, if you know somebody in that situation or, um, or, you know somebody even on the periphery um we couldn't we would not have made it through without our community and the people who showed up were even i mean we don't have 30 people on our inner circle right i mean these are people who who were like you know what i think i want to show up and pray at the courthouse today um it, make sure that you have a community around you and if you're in one of if you're one of those people in the community um show up you know whether i mean i I probably, if I would have thought about it, I probably wouldn't have ended up at the hospital the night Ellis was born. Mm -hmm. If I really would have thought about it. Oh, that's, that's a really private personal thing. And Taylor and I aren't really close. And I'm sure other people, you know, all those excuses Mm -hmm. that we kind of, and they're valid, Mm -hmm. you know, those are valid considerations. Um, But if it any, if it's on your heart, just do it. That's my,
0: Mm. yeah. I love that.
1: Well, thank you, Jess. Thank you so much. For I know having
0: me. this um, took a lot of vulnerability on your part, especially as an Enneagram Eight. <laughs> um, and I know we've talked about there are a lot of parts of your story that you've shared that um, you, that you've shared with us mm-hmm. on these episodes that you've never shared never. with other outside people outside of your very inner circle, like m- just my husband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't take that for granted. Thank you. I really appreciate that you were willing, you felt safe enough and that yeah. you were willing to um, share that space with me and with these listeners. Um, I know your story, it's been so powerful. Like I've shared for me and my own journey and I know it's gonna have an impact for others too. Thank you. Um, so
1: thank you, Jess. Thank you so much for creating this space too because in, in, our, in my time when, the, when I was going through this, there wasn't this place. There weren't people to talk to. Um there really weren't books to read. There wasn't um there wasn't social media. There wasn't there weren't podcasts. This um so this is a gift you're giving to the world. Thank you.
0: I hope this episode was meaningful for you. To connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I'll give an update to our own rainbow baby journey, including the next steps in our IVF cycle, and how we're feeling about the reality of soon being pregnant again. I'm Taylor Bates.